Good morning, Lake Bible. Good morning. It's great to see you guys. Come on in, everyone from the Narthex. We're about to start our time of worship and praise together. Let's come grab a seat. And uh, let's just open with a word of prayer, and then we'll start our time. (sighs) Father, we just, we once again want to come before you and thank you for this season. Um, Lord, we just, we give you our thanks for, um, for your son. Lord, that you would, that you would do something so amazing and unexpected as becoming one of us, Lord, taking on human flesh, that you, the creator of the universe, would, um, would become one of your, you know, become like one of your creations. The, this, the, the humility on display there and for the God of the universe to be humble. Father, we just stand in awe of what you've done. And uh, we thank you that uh, during this time we, we have a, a special opportunity to meditate on on exactly that event, the event of your coming, in a way that that uh, we don't necessarily meditate on it quite the same way the rest of the year. And so, Father, we pray that this would just be a time of deep reflection, as we sing these songs, as we hear from your word, Lord. That this would be a time where we, uh, where our 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 appreciation for you uh, may deepen. And just draw nearer to you, Lord. Father, we give you this time. I just ask that you would use it within us. Use it uh, within this church body, Lord. That you would uh, that you would mold us and make us into what uh, what you intend for us to be. And that we would follow you in that. God, we just uh, we lift ourselves up to you and just pray that all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Come on in, grab a seat, and uh, let's just stand together and worship the Lord.
guys can be seated. And uh, this being the second Sunday in Advent, I'd like to invite on up uh, Mike and Hillary and Aloha. Hello, my name is Mike. This is my lovely wife, Hillary, and my mother-in-law, Aloha. Uh, today we're here in the uh, second Sunday of Advent season. During Advent, we meditate upon the events leading up to our Creator, coming to us in human flesh to sacrifice Himself for our sins. Last week, we lit the first candle, which was a candle of prophecy and hope. We heard some of the many times that God had promised to send us a Savior. Today we light the Bethlehem candle, the candle of anticipation of the coming Messiah. Bethlehem stands as a symbol of anticipation because God has been preparing that city to be the birthplace of the Messiah for a millennia. And the prophet Micah, 700 years beforehand, prophesied that Bethlehem would be the place that the Messiah would be born. Micah 5, 1 through 2. But the coming of Messiah was also anticipated by many people that God had prepared to receive him. 
Matthew 1, 18 through 25, contains the account of Joseph's preparation, anticipation of the coming Christ. But in Luke 1, 26 through 38, we encounter Mary's side of the story and her anticipation of the Savior's birth. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel, Gabriel, to Nazareth, the town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid. Mary, you have found your favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son. And you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One, to be born, will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she, who was said to be unable to conceive in her six months, for no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. In the verses immediately after that, Mary's relative Elizabeth anticipates the birth of Jesus with praises. Luke 1, 39 through 45. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greetings, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will, hear, you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should, be, should come to me? As, as the sound of your greetings reached my ears, a baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord will fulfill his promises to her. said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him. From generation to generation, he has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel remember to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned home.
And finally, Elizabeth's husband, a priest, anticipates the coming of the Messiah with a prophetic declaration, Luke 167-79. His father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He has raised uh, up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he said through his holy prophets of long ago, salvation from our enemies and from the land of all who hate us, to show mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear and holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. Because of the tender mercy of our God, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the path of peace. Let us pray and give thanks to God for coming to us as he did and anticipate his coming again. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for providing such great salvation for us, though it came at such a high cost. Thank you that we can see your hand at work through all of human history, preparing the way for your anointed one, Jesus, to be your word made flesh, revealing you directly to your people, and to be our spotless lamb, covering our sins once and for all. And just of all of these people anticipated and celebrate your coming as our Savior, we look forward with longing and anticipation for your second coming as our Lord, We long to see you face to face as they did. We want to know the joy of your presence standing before us, but this time as our king. Let this Christmas be a celebration of that future hope which you secured for us 2,000 years ago. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much, guys. Let's just respond to that with praise.
Amen. You guys can be seated. Well, we've had some sunshine. Now we've got rain, which I'm told we need. I don't really track these things, but if we do, we're getting plenty of it. Well, welcome to those of you who are guests. A hearty welcome to everyone. Uh, if uh, if any of you uh, this morning, there always are, but if any of you would like a special prayer this morning from the congregation, uh, I know it's a little awkward for some people, but if you don't mind coming down here for just a minute, I will pray for you. Anybody? Good. David, anybody else? Uh, all right, Hillary. Anyone else? Glenn? Glenn's got a busted lip this morning. Who got mad at you? He took a, he took a fall. We gotta be careful when we get older. I know I'm gonna get older one of these days. <laughs> Anyone else? Would like prayer? All right. I'm just going to come down here, just a smaller group. Let's just hold hands here in a little circle. Our Heavenly Father, we know that there are many people in our congregation, some here, some not here, who, like these, have various needs. Sometimes they're physical. Sometimes, our Father, they are emotional. Sometimes they're financial. Sometimes, our Father, they're deeply painful, and sometimes it's just great stress. Uh, we pray for your peace upon each one. We pray for each of these here who are bold enough to step out before the throne of grace in front of all of these people and say, I have a need. And, Father, it's a need that only you can meet. You've said for all of us to come boldly to the throne of grace and to find grace and mercy to help us in time of need. And we pray that you will meet the need or the needs of each one of these dear brothers and sisters here present and that they will see you undertake. They will see you give them peace and they'll... You pray, we pray that they'll have provision in whatever form it takes and that you will be honored in their eyes. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. I know there are a lot of needs there always are out there. And uh, the staff, in case you don't know it, to the extent we know it, every Monday morning we begin our staff meeting making a list and praying for you and asking that God would give you grace and means or whatever. Just know that that happens regularly. Not only there, but in other venues also. 
For those of you who don't know, this is not any breaking news, uh, but if you're a guest here, at this church, it's our brand. It should be the brand in every church. We practice what we call expository preaching, and that means we take a book. Generally, it's a book. There are a few exceptions, and we go through that book expounding the meaning of the Word of God. We're in John chapter 13, and the book ends. There is the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, the nativity, where the Son of God came in the flesh in a mystery we can never fully comprehend. God was revealed in him, God in the flesh. Now we're at the end of the story as far as Jesus' ministry on earth. He came as a babe. He left as a man. There's a passage I want to read before I read this one. Would you go with me to Philippians? Philippians chapter 2. It explains a lot. I'm having trouble getting my pages to turn. This Bible I've had since 1970. My students gave it to me and it's falling apart. But it's like a security blanket. I keep it because I love it. I'm going to get there. Listen to this statement about Jesus. The Apostle Paul says about him in Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, he's urging the Philippian church and all churches to have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus who, although he existed in the form of God, the Greek word form doesn't mean just outward. It means the very essence, the inward form of God. He did not regard equality with God, God the Father, when it's used like this, a thing to be grasped like a spoiled child, so to speak. But Jesus emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant. All of this will help us to understand the beginning of the passage we're about to read. And being made in the likeness of men, and being found in appearance as a man, as a human being, the Lord Jesus humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross which was a shameful and miserable thing. It's the way the Romans wanted to humiliate criminals. Therefore also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name. For what purpose? That at the name of Jesus, if you don't know Jesus, anybody in this room, you do not know Jesus, get this. God did that, that at the name of Jesus, every tongue, dead and living, would confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's going to happen, and every person on this planet who is or has been or will be will one day fall on their faces before him and honor him. Some in glory, 
some in humiliation. All right, now let's read John 13, verses 31 through 38. Therefore, when he, he being Judas, the traitor, had gone out, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man is glorified. That's a strange statement when he's about to be crucified. Now the Son of Man is glorified, and God, the Father that is, is glorified in him. If the Father is glorified, In him, the Son of Man, the Father will also glorify him in himself and will glorify him immediately. What's all that mean? We'll get to that. Little children, I am with you a little while longer. You shall seek me, he says to his disciples. And as I said to the Jews, where I'm going... You cannot come. Now also I say to you, a new commandment I give to you, to all of us, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, and that you also love one another, as I have loved you is the idea. By this, all men, all people, all the world will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another, the whole family of God. Simon Peter is a little hung up on what Jesus had just said. He, that's, you can't come where I'm going. This is interesting. We'll see when we get to it. Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered, Peter, where I go, you cannot follow me. And you shall follow me later. Peter's head still buzzing over all of that. Where's he going to go? Peter said, Lord, if you're going into danger, just know this. Why can I not follow you? Get this. I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered and said, Will you lay down your life for me? Breaking news, Peter. Truly, truly, I say to you, a cock shall not crow, which happened between about 12.30 a.m. and about 3. A cock shall not crow until you have denied me three times. Wow. Well, with this evil presence, Judas now departed from their midst. Black cloud had been lifted. Now begins what we call the upper room discourse. It'll run from this point to chapter through chapter 17. This discourse, remember, takes place on the evening of the Passover. 
That's just hours before Jesus leads the authorities. Judas leads the authorities to the Garden of Gethsemane. Some of us have been there. Where Jesus will be under the cover of darkness, covertly arrested. They didn't want the public to know that this kangaroo court was about to happen. There he will be tried and crucified almost before the multitudes know what's going on. People, the devil plays dirty, as do all those who serve him. Judas had a hand in it. What I want to talk about first is the end game. This may not seem to relate to us, but boy, does it. Boy, does it. I have some language when I started writing this that I won't be able to repeat here. <laughs> uh, just how deeply I feel about it. With Judas now departed, the final act of this cosmic drama is now set in motion by his treachery. Jesus declares to those remaining at this upper room dinner. What's this mean? Now is the Son of Man glorified, and the Father is glorified in him. First of all, this doesn't seem to be anything with any glory in it. This is about to be the, the saddest story on earth. The Son of Man, the Son of God, God revealed in the flesh, real man, real God, is going to be taken by the Romans and the Jews out, whipped, bones exposed, bleeding out, nailed to a cross, a horrible sight. Now the Son of Man is glorified. And God the Father is going to be glorified in him. There's going to be a reciprocity of glorification. It doesn't look anything like glorification. But it is. God's always doing something like that. Things are not what they seem to be. There's going to be a reciprocity of glory. The Son is gloried and glorified in this event, just like I read from Philippians. What appeared to be the ugliest thing you ever saw is going to be the greatest thing ever known to mankind. The Son of God who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life is going to be strung out naked on a Roman cross horribly abused. It was not uncommon in Roman times. What makes this so horrible is that it's the Son of Man, the Son of God. Oh, how stupid of man. How stupid of the authorities. They did this to the one who came as a babe in Bethlehem. They didn't have a clue as to what was going on. Paul says in 1 Corinthians, had they known how stupid they were being, they would have never done it. They didn't know. 
they thought they were getting rid of a problem. They thought they were getting rid of an imposter. They thought they were getting rid of a goofball. But he came for this very purpose, to be our Redeemer, to die for our sins, to be an atoning sacrifice for you and for me on a Roman cross. For God so loved the world, that's the statement written over this event, that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever would trust in him, just simply trust in him, would not perish as you're bound to do otherwise, but might have everlasting life. As many as believed in him, will believe in him, shall be saved. Otherwise, you'll be everlastingly damned. God will not let this pass. God will not paper over it. He will forgive your sins and my sins just like that. Past, present, and future. Cover them under the blood of Jesus. God glorified his son and glorified himself in his unsurpassed love, in his grace, and in his mercy. And he said to all of his creatures on earth, here is salvation. It's not in a Messiah coming, not at this time on a great white charger, as I said last Sunday, like Alexander the Great. Nothing like that. You saw nothing in him that you would desire him and say, now there's a king. No, but there is the indescribable love of God, grace of God, and mercy of God. And there is the interplay. One glorifies the other. And the Spirit is in the mix, glorifying Jesus. Now, Jesus says, that's about to go down. And it's about to go down immediately. He didn't lay all this out for them, but the son's going to die. Three days later, he's going to be resurrected. Then he's going to ascend back to his father in heaven. And then he's going to take his seat, as it were, at the right hand of the father, waiting to come again to rule over all the earth. And every knee's going to bow and every tongue is going to confess yours and mine, and everybody else. Nobody will trample in his blood anymore, ever again. Well, that's what Jesus is getting at in short. And then he goes on to say, by the way, it's not a by the way, really. It's a get this. I'm going to leave you where I'm going. Right now, you can't come. He didn't lay it out. He was going to go back and be with his father. Meanwhile, he says, you're going to be here. And you, my disciples, are going to discharge my mission, what's left of it. And here's what I want to tell you. I want you to be my followers, my disciples, 
I want you to be my learners. And here is how you are to demonstrate that you are mine. You're the real thing. Here's the insignia of credibility. Not that it's wrong, but it's not coming to church every Sunday morning. It's not going to Bible studies. It's not having prayer meetings. It's not out there witnessing. None of that is wrong. In fact, there's much that's very right about all of it. But Jesus said, I don't want you to miss the point. I want you to show the world that you belong to me and I belong to you. I'm about to die for you. I'm about to lay down my life for you. Greater love has no man than this, that he lays down his life for his friends. Now I want you to testify to the world that you belong to me in this way, that you love one another. Well, that's where the rubber hits the road. We could meet in church till the cows come home. We could ding down in our wallets and pull out all of our money and our resources. All of that may say something about loving God. But Jesus puts the bottom line real tightly. That you love one another. How do you know that I'm his disciples? How do you know I'm for real? If I love you, how do I know you're for real? If you love me and you love all these people around you. Well, pastor, I get that, but that sounds so idealistic. So, pastor, I'm kind of like you. I like where the rubber hits the road. So, tell me. What does that mean? Well, again, I got just a little ahead of myself. I get off page and I do that. I want to take a step back, glorifying God. In our churches, there is, listen carefully. In our churches, there is so much busyness. In our churches, there's so much activity. There are so many plans and so many ventures in our churches. There are so many missions. There's so much outlay of money and human energy. There are so many meetings, confabs, conferences. There's so much blathering from the pulpit, and from platforms. There are so many retreats, concerts, CDs, articles, books. But I will tell you something. This is one of those strong statements. I can tell you this one. All of that can go straight to hell if in their outcome their motive, and their means. 
it does not at the end of the day honor God and his son. Straight to hell. Just so much busyness, activity. People, we must take a step back and reset. We are not here to go to church as much as we ought to be in church. The Bible tells us that, Hebrews 10. We spend too much time away from church doing other things that are not as important. But we're not here to do church. We're not here to have fun. Church on the Internet, I see it all the time, talking about their church. It's up in Alaska. They talk about having fun. I just almost go ape when I see that. We are not here to have fun and pleasure ourselves. I wish I could tell you the rest of that sentence. But we're here to get serious about whatever we do in this way or that to contribute to the glory of God. If I'm up here just verbalizing, I'm up here just doing a sermon that I have prepared. This Sunday, next Sunday, and the next Sunday, if my motive and if my intent is not to glorify God, and if your purpose in being here is not to glorify God, it's just nothing. I'm a bag of gas in a three-piece suit. Yeah, not three pieces. And you're dopes. Yeah, dopes for sitting here and putting up with the nonsense. We sit around and worry about silly things. We're in church, and we're here in church worrying about style points. Whether everything is slick, smooth, oh, got it. Whether our front looks good as a storefront or it's great spires. Now look, I'm not against style points. But I am very much against getting our priorities mixed up. We are here to glorify the living God and His Son. And His Son came to glorify the Father. There's reciprocity. And in us, that's what it's about. And if we're not doing that, stay home, forget it. We're not here to attract people. We're here to proclaim the truth and hope that people come to hear it. We're here to walk in the light and to be a credit to his name. Folks, that's what it's all supposed to be about. But like people throughout all time, it's not new. Like people down through time in Israel and now in the church age, we have this way of getting all mixed up and just getting perfunctory and getting mechanical. We like to reduce everything to rituals. That kind of stuff. Nothing wrong with rituals. But why are they done? For whom are they done? And how do we listen and what it's all about? Do you feel me? From the time of his birth in Bethlehem, the whole plan of God has been marching to this moment. In time where all the streams of history lead to and flow out of until they meet at the end of the final judgment 
at the bar of God before the Lord Jesus Christ who will separate the sheep from the goats. Again, I declare, this is the end game of the divine purpose to glorify the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Miss that and we miss everything. This is just a bunch of you-know-what if we don't do that from pastor to people. So what I'm saying to me, to you, and everybody just reminded me as I was writing it. We, staff, we talked about it on Monday. We've got to be intentional. We've got to be purposeful when we come together and when we separate. What are we doing? What are we living for? It's to glorify him. Now Jesus said to go back. I've got to tell you, men, I told the Jews, now I'm telling you, where I'm going, you cannot come. He didn't spell it out. They weren't getting it. He was going to die, and then he was going to go back and be with his father. All this is going to happen in a short space of time. He's telling them so as to prepare them. Prepare them for what they do not yet understand, what they do not yet fully see. I ask myself as I prepare this, as I think about it. That tactic of the Lord reminds me of some of the things that he teaches us, you and me, your pastor too. They don't particularly land with impact and force. But he has a reason for saying them. In his dealings with us, the Lord's not just thinking about our needs today, but he anticipates where we'll be tomorrow. He puts things in our pantry, so to speak, and he sets the table for tomorrow. I'm sure many of you can relate to what I'm about to say. You've heard things in sermons, read them in books or articles, wherever. You've heard things. They're good things. They're not bad things at all. And I hear you, Pastor. That's good stuff, I think. You're having an aha moment. And then there comes down the road another moment. It's an aha moment. <laughs> I get it, said the blind man. I get it. Lord, you said it. I get it. I saw it back there in the in the experience of Moses. I saw it back there in the experience of um, Elijah and Samuel. I saw it in the apostle Paul. I saw it ever. I get it. That's what the Lord's doing with these disciples. They're not getting it right now, but he's telling them in advance so that they always learn to respect his word. He's telling us for a reason. Oh, yeah, I get it. He aims to fortify their minds with confidence. I've told you this before. I'm telling you again, and I'll tell you again and again, as long as I'm here till I'm dead and buried. Get a hearse ready. He aims to fortify their minds in the fact that he's in control of all things, even when they seem to be flying out of control. And that's the way it's going to seem before this night is over. They're going to be running 
like scared cats. Jesus says, I'm telling you now, later on, it'll all hit him. He knew. He knew. He saw all this. He is in control. By the way, biblical prophecy, fulfilled and unfulfilled, is like that. You know, when I read the scriptures, and I don't mean just I do this, but when I read the scriptures, I've read them again and again and again and again over the years. It still hits me. Here's prophecy. The Bible's very good about telling us here's a prophecy back here. Lo and behold, it was fulfilled right here. The message, God's word never fails. If he said he was going to do it, he's going to do it. I see prophecy after prophecy like that. That tells me about the future prophecies that have not been fulfilled. They're going to be fulfilled in the same way. God is in control of history. He's in control of your life. He knows exactly what he's doing. Listen. Pay attention. And that's what he was doing with the disciples. Now, this insignia of discipleship, love one another. Yeah, that's what we were talking about. I kind of went around by Robin Hood's barn. I love to be organized and I love to be in linear. But Aussie does not like me in these notes. So sometimes I get off track. You do that when you get older. Anybody ever noticed? Well, I'm telling you. It's what happens. I despise that when I get off track. Now, you, uh, what's this business mean, love one another? Well, that's not new. Jesus says a new commandment I give to you back in Leviticus 19.18 and Deuteronomy 6.6 and 1 John 2.7. We know that the commandment for God's people to love one another is not new. So what did Jesus mean? He added this phrase, even as I have loved you. It's the quality of that love that he wants to get across to us. We are to love one another even as I have loved you. Well, what's that mean? It's the badge of Christian credibility. It's the willingness for us to lay down our own agendas. It says to your pastor, Jim, says to you, buddy, lay down your own agenda as Christ did his. He kept teaching, teaching, caring for them, washing feet right up almost to the moment that he was going to be betrayed. Me? Hey, don't bother me. Get out of my hair. I got other things. I got bigger fish to fry. Do you understand? I've been telling you I'm about to be killed. No, lay down your own agenda, Jim. Hey, Pastor, lay down your own hurt feelings and woundedness. Lay down your own need to get even. I'm going to show them something. Lay down your own personal desires and ambitions. Give up our precious comforts and pleasures. One of the elders told me the other day, Jim, 
because he knew some of the stuff. He says, why don't you just take some time, go away, and let, let some of the other staff take it. Well, fortunately, I don't want to go away. I mean, I think that's fortunate. <laughs> some of you might say, yeah, please do. Go away, get out of here. I'm tired of listening to your voice and hearing your Anyway, I don't live for vacations. If one of you came to me and said, Jim, where do you want to go in the whole world? You know, I said, take it and you go for three months. All expenses paid. I don't want to go anywhere except Israel. <laughs> That's true. I love what I do. and I love you. Love to be with you. Love one another. Lay down your own personal desires and ambitions. Give up your personal comforts, all your precious pleasures. Die, oh, this is hard, die to our own pride and self-enrichment for the sake of the brethren and for the purpose of building them up in Christ. Loving them comes down to humbling ourselves, not a way of feeling, not syrupy stuff. Oh, I love you. I just love you. Affection may be involved, but primarily it's behavior and the kind of behavior that I'm describing. Loving them comes down to sacrificing like Jesus did and spending ourselves for the well-being of our brothers and sisters in Christ for his sake who gave it all. You know, I want to say, I've said this before too, I see so many of you in this church model that. And others of you probably model it, and I don't even see. That's totally probable. We were having our, I don't know if I can bring this off without messing up everything. I'm just looking. David, where's your mic? Oh, over here it is. I'm probably not going to get finished with this message. What time is it up there? I'm not. Oh, gee whiz. But I like to make things practical. You just flip this on, David. You guys flip it on. Should be on. We were setting up in our care group the other night. Uh, Diane Bell, where are you? Yeah, Diane, we go around, we pray. And uh, I didn't know this. She's got a big problem at her house. She's a widow, been a widow for many years. She never complains. I've never heard Diane complain yet. I've complained a lot <laughs> about things. Diane never complains. She's a woman of faith. She had a big mess in her yard. It's still kind of a big mess. This had to be done before that could be done. She paid a guy to do it just out of the goodness of her heart that she felt was a need, not a believer. And that money so far appears to be gone. She says, well, I think he needed it. So a couple guys in our church, Jerry Vanslyke, where are you? Okay, I'm glad you're in church. <laughs> Mike, where are you? Where's your... Oh, I should have seen that bald head over there. <laughs> we go like... So they go up to Diane, and what do they say to you, Diane? Here. 
one Sunday morning, Mike met me at the door and said to me, how's that yard project coming along? I didn't even know he knew I had a yard project. And he uh, said, I think it's about time we step in. And then proceeded to tell me that he would get a few retired guys together and they would come over and work on my yard. And they came and assessed it. And at that time, they power washed my porch, my sidewalk, and my driveway. This is not about to be a perfect church. I'm perfect. <laughs> hate to tell you that and make you feel bad. It's not about to be a perfect church. But I see more, I see more of that in this body than I've seen in any church since I've been alive. People have a way, I don't even know about it, of stepping up and loving one another, making some sacrifice, not just when it's easy. We've got a long way to go. Your pastor certainly got a long way to go. But I'm saying that because I'm proud of you. Love one another. Jesus says, by this all men shall know you're my disciples. When you love one another. And it's in that way. It's not just getting a big toothy smile and saying, oh, I love you. It's doing something for crying out loud. It's sacrificing, it's helping, it's caring, and not always caring for people. Those guys, they see Diane coming, but you know, they haven't been close friends for years, have they? No, they just felt a need. Michelle, Mike's wife, you all know what she does, and others of you. I could go around this room and point out people who have just helped and encouraged others. They don't have any particular inspiration to do so, but they're fellow believers and they love them. And Jesus said, this is the way the church will know that you belong to me. That you love one another, even as I have loved you, which involves dying for others a little bit or a whole lot. Well, that's really, really great. Now, I'm going to have to kind of cut to the chase. You'll bear with me. I think you'll bear with me. If not, you can just... <laughs> You can just leave on me. Well, we come at last. I'm skipping over some stuff. We come at last to a sign of immaturity. It's Peter. Peter, as we all know, was a great, great apostle. But he started like we all did. He started out with some manifest signs of immaturity. Where do you see that? He didn't do anything wrong. There was no big sin here, but he's like us. He put his pants on the same way we do. Peter heard this stuff. He loved Jesus. He really did. And Jesus kept saying, well, going away. Is he going to go somewhere where he's going to be in danger? Well, I'm going to stick up for Jesus. The rest of them may flake out. Judas already had. I'm going to stick up for Jesus. Judas is now gone. There's just the 11. Lord, where are you going? This is between the lines. I don't want you out there being alone. 
Everybody needs somebody to have their back, and I'm going to have your back. I'm going to tell you something, Lord. Listen good. I, I don't know about these other guys, I will die for you. Peter was cashing a check. Writing a check that he couldn't cash. Because Peter, very shortly, very shortly, hours later, is going to do what Jesus said. He's going to deny the Lord three times. Now, it was very temporary. But the point is, sometimes we think we're bigger and better than we are even as believers. We've got to be humble. I would love as your pastor to get up here and say, I don't know about you people, but when push comes to shove, this world's going to hell in a handbasket. You can see it and I can see it. And I don't know how bad things are going to get, but I want everybody in this church to know that your pastor, Jim Andrews, he'll be there. He'll lay it all on the line. I hope I will. But I don't want to go making big announcements, and neither should you, about what you're going to do. You Listen, to die for Christ takes dying grace. You can't find that in the flesh. So one of the things I pray for is that I'll be able to do that. In times past, I told you a story, and it's still on my mind very much to this day. In my dream, I was somewhere in Europe. I've seen this scene on Channel 10, wherever it is. I was imprisoned because of Christ. My time came, and they dragged me out of prison and I was going to be executed in this dream. And I remember, I don't remember being terrorized, but I remember being shocked as they drug me out. And I got out, and there's one of these howling mobs like we've seen in Portland and so many of America's great cities and all over the world, almost like being dragged out but by Hamas. And I will never forget in that dream the teeth, the gnashing of teeth. And I said to myself, my gosh, what have I done? The hatred, the visceral hate. Then I woke up. I never knew how it turned out. (laughs) Maybe I died. I don't know. But anyway, never forgotten that dream and always wondered if that might not be true. Don't go around writing checks that you can't cash. Pray. Ask the Lord for help. Ask the Lord to help you when the moment comes to do what you ought to do, to be what you ought to do, and to say what you ought to say. And we don't know what that is until the time. Well, what was Peter's mistake? You see, in the flesh he took himself for granted. We're all capable of great failures, me included. Uh, Our knees can get weak when we thought they wouldn't. So we need to ask the Lord to be like our Lord, to pay the full price, to go all the way to the end zone. And Peter was still strong in the flesh, and he got humiliated. He quickly reversed his field. Just ask the Lord, 
I know you want to be what you ought to be. Go where you ought to go. Do what you ought to do. But just remember, you are flesh. And you might crumble like a cookie at a time you didn't want to. But if you don't know Jesus, the issue is entirely different. Every knee shall bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. You can do it now voluntarily. You can do it later in terror you can't imagine. It's true. It's true. They were right. It's true. Call for the rocks to fall on your head, the mountains to cover you from the face of his glory. You don't want to be there. What I do. But what you do is do as you do in any other thing where you realize you're wrong. Look up and repent. And while the grace of God is extended, while it's still today in God's plan where his grace is available, humbly receive it and join us in the family of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that your spirit would work among us, would take your word, our Father, which has been a little bumblingly delivered, and make it Make it effective in the hearts of your people. We ask it in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and for his sake. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> There's a, a children's song. We've actually sung it from up here before. We're not going to sing it this morning. But there's a, a children's song, uh, Christmas song, that uh, I'll share a few of the lyrics with you. It says, <clears throat> one of the verses says, it's not, it's not all about the manger where the baby lay. It's not all about the angels that, that sang to him that day. It's not all about the, shepherd, the, the shepherds or the bright and shining star or about the, uh, the wise men who traveled from afar. And then the chorus says, it's about the cross. It's about my sin. It's about how Jesus came to be born once so that we could be born again. Um, and uh, I think it's kind of, it's poetic and inappropriate that we just happen to be hitting this part of John um, at this time of year, um, where we're contemplating the birth of the Savior, um, but really the birth is all about what he came to do, what he came to accomplish, and that that was that centers on the cross, and we're kind of starting to begin um, his journey toward the cross uh, as we get into these parts of John. So um, we're going to close with with a song that focuses on the cross together uh, before we go. And as we sing, the ushers are going to pass around the offering plate once again this morning. Um, if you're visiting today, don't feel obligated to give. We're just, we're glad to have you. We certainly can give if you'd like. But uh, let's just take this opportunity as they pass the offering plate around to just appreciate um, how the birth of Christ 
um, is colored by the fact that this is a this is a baby, this is a child that was that is, first of all is the creator of the universe, but but most importantly, he he was born to die, he was born to be sacrificed for us, and that is amazing. So let's stand together and uh, and just worship the Lord for what He has done.
Well, that was a very powerful sermon. <clears throat> I'm very affected by it. I'm sure many of you are as well. The glory of Christ through his sacrificial love. The command to love, which will require a sacrifice from us. And the real admonition to pray for a grace because we can't do any of that in the flesh. That summarizes the three points of that sermon he just gave us. And the three announcements are pointing, pushing, serving, washing the feet of the prisoner, the neighbor, and the children among us. The angel tree ministry is to, is to, is to say to people who may not know that Jesus came, Hey, your life's in shambles. Everything's out of control. The man who brings the money or the mom who would comfort the kids is in prison. But there's still someone who loves. There's still someone who cares. There's hope and his name is Jesus. And so if you haven't considered purchasing gifts, Sandy Arell's out there. She has tags. We deliver. We share the gospel. There are people who have come to this church from that ministry. and We're pointing people to Christ. Next week, when we pray together and worship together, the journey to Bethlehem will be over. We'll have already done it. So when we think about the outreach, let's pray in closing that it would be filled with his spirit as we point our neighbor to Christ. Some people in our neighborhood in Lake Oswego and Tiger do not know Jesus. I remind you of an announcement from last year that I gave. A young couple, Caucasian, middle class, married. Have you heard of Jesus? Nope. Nope. In their 20s. It's a real thing. And lastly, uh, Sharon Van Slyke and her team in the children's ministry have a nativity celebration, an opportunity on Tuesday, December 19th from 10 to 1130 to just get the kids in your circle of influence, grandkids, kids, and come out on a Tuesday morning and just kind of decorate a nativity and kind of be pointed to Christ. And that's $5 and a parent is required to stay, but there's uh, information on the website where you can sign up uh, with Sharon. Let's pray now. Father, we want to thank you for your your servant, Pastor Jim, and how he has declared your word of truth and sincerity and, and conviction. We pray that it would land with us, Lord, in all the areas that you know it needs to land as a body and as individuals. We also would pray for this outreach uh, where possibly hundreds of people will come through our church in a mere five days. We would ask, Father, that your Holy Spirit would anoint this place and set it apart for your purposes. That the proclamation of your Son, Jesus Christ, would be heard, would be felt, and would be impacting the hearts of those who come through. Help us to work in unity. Help the people out in the cold, parking, and all of the security, and all of the people with their lines, and just the whole thing, Lord. We ask God for your blessing on it, that it would be an honor and a glory to you, not just a church activity. And we pray for our week, Lord, as individuals and as a body, that you would bless us and encourage us, for we don't have what it takes on our own to follow you sacrificially. We all get weak need, Lord. We all get tired. We pray for your grace, because it is sufficient for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Please do stack the chairs.